To episode four of the Guide the Raid podcast, bringing you closer to your favorite streamers and content creators. Today's episode is going to look a little bit different to what it's been in the past. As you may have noticed, Envy the Kiwi, Matt, isn't with me today, so it's going to be a little bit more of a solo run from me talking directly to our guest. The topics that we'll talk about in today's episode are going to be a little bit difficult to hear. Our guest today has been through a really amazing journey in his life. And it's something that we really want to delve into. At times the podcast might feel a little bit upsetting. So if you do feel that that's something that maybe isn't your cup of tea. Then by all means give this one a miss. But for anyone who struggled with any mental health issues in the past. I really think this is going to be a fascinating watch. At times there will be a little bit of bad language as well. That's why we've set this video to an over 18 show. Thank you again for taking the time to watch us. And let me introduce you. To JJ Got Beats. Jordan, welcome. JJ Got Beats. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. How's things on your end, Sunshine? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, busy weekend, as you already know. But um, yeah, not too bad at all. So I want to start off um, with probably the most lighthearted topic of the podcast and to talk a little bit about streaming, um, music production, and pretty much how you've got into that sort of realm and where you are at the minute. Uh, okay, cool. I guess we'll go with music. Like For me, music has always been something I've kind of felt, which sounds a bit strange, but I never had any ability to do anything with it never been able to play an instrument any of that sort of stuff never had any sort of understanding of music other than just liking it um until i was about 17 and i finally bit the bullet bought some decks for like mixing and for a good year and a half i had no idea what i was doing just thinking i was making things sound good when i weren't another year kind of passed and i got better at that to the point where i was start happy with it kind of saw it as a skill moved into my niche at the time which is more the drum and bass side of stuff um made tons of mixes started kind of putting myself in line with other people in the industry uh slowly getting like sets and that sort of stuff which was nice um it was nice to be behind the decks as opposed to at raves which was nice and different enjoyed that sort of side and then more recently we'll say about end of 2019 beginning of 2020 i was kind of losing my love for drum and bass a little bit we'll say not not like it's gone, it's still there, but um, you know, I kind of needed something to mix things up. And my little brother, um, shout outs to him, or kind of put me onto like drill, which is uh, an interesting genre to say the least. But I I liked it for the beats. Like I was genuinely interested at how the beats sounded. They were quite unique, coming from being someone that never really liked grime or like other UK rap, other than like old school boom bappy hip hop type stuff. That was dead interesting to me. So I started pushing out into that, started making that sort of stuff and realised like everything I'd learned about drum and bass made it a lot easier. Like there's some things they shared, some things they didn't. Um, and that was just like, you know, okay, cool. Started running with that. And that's kind of become my main genre now. That's what I'm sticking with uh, in the streaming side of things. So um, 
again, even even when I was doing drum and bass, I tried streaming like once or twice, like probably around about a year ago now. I tried streaming and it just didn't work. Like no one cared, basically. If we're being honest, no, no one cared. Like didn't didn't have anyone come in. I think it was too much of a niche to bring people in and make them want to come to Twitch. Whereas I think with what I'm doing now, there is a small amount of people that are interested about that sort of stuff. It's, I think it's more of an open genre. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until I started my new job and I met someone I work with there who uh, we all know as XEDJT, who is um, someone who, who'd just spoken to me about him streaming. And I was like, yeah, man, that's cool. Show me. Like, I'm I'm down to listen, see, see what you're doing. Like, it was a nice way to pass my day. And I said to him just in passing that I'd tried streaming before always kind of wanted to do it a little bit just because it was like a nice thing to do um and then from that he was just like just do it kept pushing me kept pushing me and then i started and it, it kind of just for, for the first bit it was just kind of him and the people from his stream that were in there after a while it expanded a bit and people like yourself started turning up and yeah it's, it's just kind of still going i try and stream like three times a week it doesn't always happen but it's just it's just nice for me to like I, it puts me in that mindset like I go to stream and make a beat so I'm killing two birds with one stone because I'm making a beat on stream whilst talking to people that I like and hopefully educating people about the whole process because I think making music isn't something a lot of people get to see they just hear the end result and I think that's kind of interesting to some people but um yeah, that's kind of that in a nutshell really probably just to break it down a little bit then so obviously um for those who are listening who don't know your streams are all based around making a beat from scratch yeah mm-hmm. and the the whole process around that when you talk about the different genres that you could be looking at so you, you talked about grime um uk rap in general drill drum and bass um can you sort of break those down a little bit for people who might not be aware of them as being different things certainly uh, grime to drill that sort of thing Perfect. So we'll start with drum and bass because that's the one that just sticks out. Um, drum and bass is a lot faster than most music. What drum and bass uses is a two-step pattern, and that is basically just like a boom ka, boom ka, as opposed to most beats which are down, so they'll be like boom, 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 boom. And two-step is also found in garage, so I know a lot more people like garage. But if you listen to the way garage is, the way it has the the drum pattern, um, but then drum and bass is also very kind of aggressive, dark, moody music. Um, made for like dancing and clubs that sort of stuff if we're talking more about we'll start we'll start with the easiest one is like boom bap hip-hop that's at like the tempo is the main difference between most of these genres so that's usually somewhere between 80 to like we'll say 95 it can go higher and lower but again that's that's quite similar as well because it can have the two-step pattern so like the boom 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 that sort of stuff um and then that is obviously where kind of hip-hop originated from so a lot of that's sample based so they would they would take elements of other songs from like as far back as the 60s and then put that over the top of like modern drums and then a main focus of that would be like an 808 as well like the the bass underneath which is quite important um if we move into grime grime is a lot faster so that's about 140 bpm i think grime takes a lot of inspiration from dubstep which is kind of what i would say the link between drum and bass and grime would be dubstep because they share that kind of dubbiness. Um, but again, it's at 140, same as dubstep, 140 BPM. Uh, grime is not something I've ever tried producing, but grime kind of takes 
some inspiration from i would say again quite dark music quite heavy bass riffs as well which aren't not so much an 808 side of things which they are they do exist but the basses tend to be a bit more tonal and a bit more noisy you can even have like foreman basses in there and if we're talking about a drill drill again can be anywhere between i would say 140 all the way up to like 150 um one of the key things that's different about a drill though you'll find is the hi-hat pattern is quite a bit more skippy so rather than it being on the, on the downbeat to be like, tch, 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 like drill it's a bit more spaced out oh, i'm not going to try to do it off the top of my head but it's a bit more spaced out and kind of lives in its own little realm um and then if we're talking about the musical side of it it's, it's I would say it almost has some like classical sounding elements to drill, like the the music in the background. Lots of like orchestral instruments, so like strings and like big pianos. Um, and I'd say that's the the main difference between all of those genres. But yeah, I hope I hope that kind of answers your question properly. Cool. So with drill then, and with making beats and being a music producer, what are you trying to do? So obviously you've got your stream there, and you you're showing people how to make beats and and showing sort of the creative process what are you actually looking to do what are you what are you looking to gain from that i think one one of the main things is education i've always considered myself as like a bit of an educator um i've always liked learning and i like having the ability to pass that knowledge on so if people come to my, my stream specifically and kind of find out something they didn't know or it's kind of how they think oh, i could do that because i truly believe anyone can learn to make music if i did it i'm nothing special anyone can do it um so that's really important. I think awareness is another thing. I think Twitch is quite a nice platform that's probably a bit different to how most people are trying to get themselves out there. But the end goal with the reason I make beats is to put them out there to rappers. Same, same as everyone else, really. I want to get placements, whether it be with like big labels or just big rappers who are popular in the scene right now. I want them to think that beat by me is worth their time and then use that to go from there. So... Taking it to a professional standard, I would say, is the end goal. But there is emphasis on other areas as well, like I said, about education, making people think that they can do this too, um, and kind of just seeing where it goes, really. Okay, so obviously we've talked about like what you do on the stream and the music side of things. If we can just talk about streaming itself for the time being. So talk to me about how, um, like, sort of the struggles that you have with streaming um in terms of you know nobody coming in or anything like that and how you find the motivation to just keep going i think i think twitch is a very hard thing to kind of get a hold of i think if we're being fair and speaking about it from a fairly critical point of view there's a lot of people on twitch lots of people doing lots of things um so it can be hard to stand out if we're talking about music on twitch in particular i what i see is the people that are the biggest on twitch people that are doing like guitar covers or singing or piano covers and they, that's their kind of way of interacting with viewers because people request songs they'll play them and that'll be what their niche is if i look at what i'm doing is in like specifically there aren't many people that are making beats that pull big views one person that does is called nick mirror but he happens to be a ridiculously big producer already now i kind of feel like as he got big he was already streaming but he's part of a label called Internet Money, um, and they make beats for people like, uh, let's see, like Little Tekka. Um, he made all of the beats for Juice World, that sort of stuff. So he kind of had his own side. But going back, going back to about streaming myself, how do I deal with it? I think I just enjoy it when people are there. If if there's 
one person there or a thousand people there, not that there's ever been a thousand people there, it's, it's fine for me because if someone's watching it and they enjoy it, that's good enough. And like I said, in my head, it's more I'm making a beat. I try to detach myself about thinking, oh, streaming's really important. I need views and I need, I need subs, I need followers, all that sort of stuff. That doesn't bother me in the slightest and it never will do because the main objective is to sit there and make music. Uh, so if there's one person or a thousand, it's, it's no odds to me. Um, I like to interact with people. One of the things I kind of try and push is if people have suggestions or think this is good, that's bad, maybe try and have them give their input, whether it, whether they come from a musical background or not. That That's something I enjoy as well because for me, making music is all about inspiration. And if I can have someone say something that sparks a thought and they're, they're along and on the journey with me, that, that makes it worth all the while. I think... Um... So something for me, when I first came into your stream or first found your stream um, through Easy, shout out Easy, the thing that struck me about you straight away was there was no viewers at the time, or there was one viewer, no one was talking, but you were still talking, you were still explaining everything that was going on with the beat, you were explaining exactly what you were doing. How do you do that in, in simple terms? Because... Most people, when they start off streaming, that's their biggest struggle, is being able to speak when there isn't someone there to talk to. So how did you sort of manage to do that? Because anyone who's seen any of your streams, and I, I implore people to go and have a watch, will see like it's not about your interactions so much. It's like your interaction with the music and with the program that you're using and talking people through it. It's like... It's hard to explain, but it's like when we're watching your stream, it's like we're in your head in like a, not in a strange way, but like we're, we're in your head and we're just hearing exactly your thoughts and your process. No, you hit the nail on the head there, Stu. That's exactly what I do in terms of speaking. I think in terms of confidence to speak, which is important, I used to make YouTube videos for Call of Duty like years ago, back when, back when I was a kid. So like I kind of been through the whole stage of or how do I sound, or does this sound good? I kind of just do it for the sake of doing it. But you hit the nail on the head with being inside my head. I just say what I'm thinking out loud at the time as I'm doing it. It's almost like, you know, in a strange way, I'm speaking to myself. But, you know, if there's someone there to listen, and they take the information and it's sound, happy, happy days. But I will say, so here's an example. If I, if I grab a snare and I'm thinking, oh, that snare is not the right snare, that's what comes out loud. I speak with almost no filter, which can be slightly problematic at times. But I'll say, that's not good. That could be that. Oh, if I do that, that'll make this potentially sound better. And that's kind of kind of going back to the education side of things. If I can give people my trailer for, and they're a producer, it might make them think, ah, oh, I've never thought of it like that. Like that's, that's something I should consider for future reference. So yeah, like you said, nail on the head and just speaking out loud, basically. And what's your, so I know what your aim is with music. Is there any aim with streaming? Is there any way you, where you want to get to? Like, most times we have streamers on, we'll talk about um, partner or we'll talk about that side of things, getting big on YouTube, whatever. Is there any sort of aim around that? Kind of, but not really. That's definitely like a, a side thing. I feel like any engagement is good engagement. So, um, I mean, I hit affiliate, which isn't all that hard to do. Part partner would be wonderful. I don't, I don't know if there's enough people out there willing to watch it is the, the dead honest truth. Um, I think... 
YouTube. YouTube is something I'm looking to break into. So I already upload my beats to YouTube, which is one thing. But I feel like I should probably make in the same way, like some tutorial videos on on the way I think. That would probably be my, my aim for the future with the whole YouTube side of thing. But for, for me, it's just, you know, a lot, of, a lot of it's kind of social, especially with what's happened with like lockdown, that sort of stuff. I've just moved 300 plus miles away from all of my mates and my family and all that sort of stuff. So in some ways, it's just nice to speak to people who I don't necessarily know at a face-to-face -face level. If I can say to them, how's your day going? What have you been up to? What's going on? Basically, like that's that's my my trailer thought out of that. It's definitely more of a social thing than a, having a desire for it to get big. Like I'm, I'm not about that. Popularity contests aren't my thing because I know I know people who are, you know, highly underrated and and that sort of stuff. And it's not worth focusing on that, but particularly in music. If you focus on your craft, prioritize that. I feel like the success will come. Now, whether that comes in terms of people watching me on Twitch, going back to the whole getting placements with with big artists, that sort of stuff. If I feel like if I was to focus on that too much, it could become the 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 big problem around the whole situation is that that's what I focus on. And that could have a detrimental effect to me making music because instead of sitting there thinking, oh, is this beat good? I'm sat there thinking, oh, there's, there's only two viewers and I'm I'm never going to make a par partner if that's the way. Like if I thought like that, I would never be able to make good music ever because I'd just sit there and, and number count all that other stuff and that's just, just not a good idea in my opinion. So Jordan, we're going to move on to the life section now of the podcast. Can you talk me through a little bit of your backstory then? Um, in the intro, I mentioned that there are probably going to be some tough topics to talk through, and this is probably going to be the main part of it. So take me through it however you want to, um, as slowly as you want to, as quickly as you want to, whatever sort of fits with you. Um, but if we can just sort of talk through your backstory, that would be great. So yeah, I was born in 1996 to what I'd say is a fairly normal family. Um, parents are still together, which is, you know, pretty rare these days now I think about it. I live next to my nan and granddad, which was always a blessing. I had, had a decent decent upbringing because I had, you know, I would say four parents instead of two. Um, and they literally live next door. Like, well, there's a gate between us. So I used to just walk around to my nan's house like it was nothing. Um got an older brother who's got a different mum and then a sister who's two years younger than me and a little brother who's two years younger than her so there's four of us in total um life was kind of normal for, for the most part I would say growing up just just went to school did things that kids do there was a few things when I was younger that made me realize like that life isn't all roses um someone close to my family died when I was Proper, proper young. I must have been like two or three. And one of my earliest memories is that and me, my mum finding out and me kind of like not really figured out what was going on. And he, that must have been when I was really, really young because that person, my little brother, has that person's first name as his middle name in, in memory of him because she was pregnant with my little brother at the time. So, you know, I must have been probably two and a bit, maybe three and a bit when that happened. There were some other things as well which I won't go into. Just because they're probably not, probably not worth mentioning if I'm being fair. But they, they were interesting. Again, made me realise that life isn't all roses. Um, 
but the, the first thing for me that kind of put a big spanner in the works for my life if you like and i was in year six coming up to god knows how long ago now um around easter time so not not too long ago it would have been the anniversary of it i think i think we're going on like 14 or something years so i was in year six which made me year yeah year six so i would have been 11 and i'm 25 in june so 14 years i think that makes it which is a bit mad um yeah my my dad had a motorbike accident which was pretty severe um normal school day like i remember it like it's yesterday and once we go over most of these things you'll realize that i i don't have a photographic memory but for all of these incidents i do which is really really strange I can picture everything as if it would just happen two seconds ago. Like I can see it now in my head, just talk, talking about it. And we're not even got there yet. Um, so yeah, um, finished school. Everything was all gravy. Dad picked us up, took us home. And at the time he was fixing my cousin's moped, which my dad does. My dad's that kind of person, kind of looks after everyone, fixes everything for everyone. Um, knows a bit about cars, bikes, and pretty much every sort of trade, to be honest. Uh, comes into me and my little brother. We sat in my front room watching the Rugrats movie of all things. That's what I mean about me remembering every single aspect. I can remember that. I remember the chair I was sat in. I remember where my little brother was. I remember having a glass of milk, the yellow cup. Like the, the details are mad. Um, my dad says, "Oh, I'm, I'm going out. Just just taking your cousin's bike around the corner just to see if it's you know I fixed it properly and everything's working." Didn't think much of it. He'd been down the garage most of the time since he picked us up back anyway. All good. Next thing I know, I think my mum came bursting through the door and she was like pretty much screaming. She's like, I need to go, I need to go. Some, something's happened to your dad, blah, blah, blah. Disappears. Um, and this happened like two, three roads away from where I live. Uh, and maybe like 10 minutes past, my nan comes in and says, oh, your, your dad's been hurt. Like he's he's gone to hospital things are quite bad um and I, I said like how bad she's like i think he's broken his arm or broken his leg and obviously she'd only had what she'd heard from my mum and my mum was pretty distraught at the time so she disappeared um because she literally ran to go see my dad because it was that close um and that was kind of that for the evening pretty sure i then got shipped down the road to a family friends lives like six doors down good good family we've always been pretty close and they just kind of looked after us for the rest of the day i remember being like dragged to a football game and you lot know i hate football and just just watching my mate play football like um after that that was kind of it next thing i know i'm being shipped off to kent to go be with my family and this is like when the easter holidays just started i was there for two weeks straight which is well weird because I went without like any of my parents, went there with my little brother, my little sister got shipped somewhere else. Um, didn't really know what was going on at the time, came back and was just back to school. But I didn't I didn't see my dad for two months. I was convinced at the time like he was dead and my parents, well, my parent, my mum just didn't have the ability to tell us. Um, and then one day my older brother came round and he was like, right, we're, we're going to go see dad. And that was, I was, I was half and half on it at the time. I was like, oh okay maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong maybe he isn't dead um but going there was pretty tough when I think about it now like my dad is one of those people that's always been proper proper active like used to like ride a bike or run to work like casually just do 12 miles every day like and as well as like you know just just did everything my dad's always been proper active um see my dad basically on his deathbed to be honest with you that's pretty fucked up um excuse my language i do i do apologize but that's just just the way it was like um 
a, a man who to me is like so strong like mentally physically like just yeah just just like just in bits putting on a brave face for us which is why i rate my dad so highly like acting like everything was all cool well that was like proper proper mad um and the thing with that is is it didn't really get better for a long time so as i said i was in year six and it just just kind of stayed that way for a long time but my dad was always in hospital for probably best part of three years got to a point where my dad had like i'm pretty sure my dad had 62 operations in a year at one point which is more operations are in a week um one of the more positive and funny things i see out of it is uh don't know how old this will make me sound but there was a magazine called nuts and there was a section in nuts magazine where um it had like gory bits and pictures of my my dad's accident ended up in that like he he submitted that and did an interview for that which i think again just shows what type of character my old man is like i rate him so much but he did that but yeah that that was quite mad for a long time because as an adult now i found out that my mum was also going through a lot of shit at work like my mum's boss just happened to not be a nice person wasn't particularly appreciative of her scenario and my mum would get us all ready for school in the morning take us all to school go work her full day then most days she wouldn't even come home to be fair luckily my like i said my nan and granddad lived next door she'd go be with my dad for pretty much the whole evening come back at like 10 at night maybe 11 at night because my dad was all in like all of the major hospitals he wasn't in any close ones because his situation was so dire um and then do the same thing and that was like my life for like a good three four years probably um which is just well strange like it, it was just kind of messed everything up i think it had quite an effect on the way i was as a person i think before then i would have been quite loud a bit boisterous like quite outgoing they kind of just kind of locked me in my shell a bit like didn't really want to speak to anyone i didn't I, it's not like i lost any friends or anything like that but i definitely became a bit more of a recluse i think kind of just stayed in in myself to myself kind of stuck with that and that was just just how things were um because I saw the stress it was putting on my my mum as well. Like being the eldest, although I have an older brother, obviously he's got a different mum. So being the eldest of my two parents, I kind of tried to put on a brave face, my little brother and sister, and make sure they were all okay, knowing that my nan and granddad had their own lives to get on with. I'd always try and like make sure they were decent, and I, I'd like to think I did a decent job out of that. But at the same time, I was still a kid. Do you know what I mean? I was like eleven to to, to I guess like fourteen, fifteen, and it, it, even now, like my dad isn't perfect. Just just this year my dad had an operation which could have made him lose his leg completely uh luckily he didn't and that kind of again just put me in the same mental state i think because it got to a point where just before christmas my dad was in hospital and he wasn't ever meant to be and luckily came out like two days before but that's that's kind of just the way my life's been ever since my dad's always kind of potentially need a surgery potentially in, in need of help his to be fair, I don't even go over what happened to him. So I apologise going back a bit. But he, he was hit head on by a car that was on the wrong side of the road. Um, and my dad, knowing about motorbikes and how motorbike accidents happen, he was on a ped. So he jumped over the handlebars because obviously if you get hit on a ped, then this is important for people in the future if you ride a ped, jump out of the way. Because if you get hit by a car, the handlebars go down on the seat. So if my dad didn't jump, he would have had no legs because it literally would have slammed on his legs. Um, so he jumped over the car and the top of the car, like the joint where the the windscreen is, that hit his knee. And what that did is it basically just ripped everything apart. So my dad's knee was hanging on by like a piece of skin about that big, like genuinely that big. 
And as that happened, that was on his left knee. Um, and he rotated in the air, landed on the side, so on his shoulder here, and then skidded into the concrete and smashed that to pieces. Uh, so his shoulder was in like bits. Uh, the, the concrete was like fully broken. Like, that's how hard he hit it. And um, moving on from that, the hospital kind of had some issues at the time. So my dad got MRSA. For those of you who don't know what MRSA is, that is a, a bacterial infection, which there is basically no cure for. So there's there's no medicine in the world that can fix it. And that's kind of one of the problems with the way we hand out medicine so nonchalantly these days. Like bacteria has got to the point where there are some medicines that just don't work for anything at all. And it means anytime my dad has like a, probably say a deep cut like a paper cut or just a scratch or a graze it's not that deep but once you have an open flesh wound it kind of it reignites it if you like and it just eat, eats away at you so because of that my dad's my dad's legs pretty decent but he can't move it back a certain point i think it's like more than 90 degrees movement and that's all like full of metal plates uh we joke that it looks like a bomb's gone off on his knee because the x-rays just are full of like nails and all that other like just screws all holding it together and then his shoulder um his shoulder is all fully metal so into the joint here is metal all the way down to about here and there's no flesh around that because it just ate, ate it to nothing at the time again my dad being such a strong person he joked he's like oh just give me what's left of the bone um just, just so he could like i think he wanted to make a walking stick out of it or something like that right um and the doctor said well when, when we still get out of your arm and held it, it just turned to dust so um absolutely mad that was proper proper interesting needless to say um it taught me a lot of things about life though it taught me, taught me how important family is um and to look after those who you got because they're not around forever so i'll probably leave it there for the whole thing about my dad if you've got any questions to you fire away mate well first first of all um thanks for sharing it obviously it's a horrific memory that you've got from your childhood probably the only question i've really got around that um because i don't really want to go into it and make you relive it any more than you have to um what do you think you've took away from it so when you look back now um with hindsight what do you think you've took away from that experience do you think it's changed you as a person yeah that definitely changed me as a person i would say in a lot of ways for the worst if i am being fair like i said it kind of just affected my confidence like i'm not a particularly confident person i could i could envision myself having been when i was like younger maybe it was just because i was innocent and didn't really like understand the way the world works i was just happier within myself because when you are at that age you have a lot less problems that are of you know less intensity if you like but in, in terms of positive family my family means everything uh, i take a like my biggest role models in my life, probably my nan and my mum. And my mum, because, like I said, she, she she just did all of that stuff at the time and never showed any like weakness. So I think admirable traits is what I learned about that, what, what's important in life. Like, I don't care about material objects or that sort of stuff. Like, And if I, if I had three wishes, one of them would definitely be to make sure that didn't ever happen to my family, but that I could still take away the lessons from it. Like, I would have still had the ability to realize that this is what matters because those who love you and those who you love are worth more than anything than any job any car any pair of shoes that you want all of that like artificial stuff that you can't take with you because life is to me is about memories and you know trying to make a positive impact so again thanks for sharing that um 
so obviously that was that happened around about when you were about eleven. Um, moving on from that, where did you go to next? And if we go back to the people I said I spent time with first, if if you remember, so when I went to that football game, that sort of stuff, that was a family that lived six doors down from me, and those people have a lot of space in my heart um, because we've always been quite close for as long as I can remember. So there's there's three of us, like I said, and three of them. I won't go into details because it's not my place to speak on people's stories, um, especially like you know, especially not name dropping. Like that's that's not fair. Um, there's one person who's the same age as me who has been my best friend for a long time. Don't speak to him like at all anymore, which sounds mad, but it's one of those people I don't need to speak to to know that like I've got them and they've got me. Like we're just doing our different thing. We our paths split quite differently. Um, then someone who's pretty much the same age as my sister, and then someone who was a year younger than my little brother. And when I was in, I think, end of year nine, um, the youngest one on their side fell ill, and I think it was just something simple. Went to the doctors, it was fairly serious, but not that bad. And one night, she fell quite ill to the point she needed to go to hospital. So she went to hospital, and the three people I mentioned came and stayed at my house. Um, just because they only live six doors down, but we was always quite close. They they helped us with the whole situation with my dad, which I'll never forget. And we've always kind of had that rapport with us. Um, and then, yeah, they were staying at my house. Uh, she went to hospital, and just, again, going back to the photographic memory thing, I was just in bed chilling. My mate next to me, probably about eleven, maybe half eleven at night. Should have been asleep already, really, because I remember my mum coming in my room. Again, another yellow cup of milk in front of me, which is mad how I remember this. Some some TV program on, and my mum walks in. The other one on their side is there, and my mum says, "Oh, it's blank because I can't say their name." Nearly did then. Um, and I was like, "What's up? What's what's the matter?" And my mum said, "No, she's gone," uh, which I didn't really get. And I was like, "What do you mean?" And I was like, "She's she's gone to heaven." So my mum had to tell my best mate that his little sister had passed away which was a bit fucked to say the least and I think what made that so mad for me is if I if I really threw that right now in my head like so I'm just I can see it now he jumped out of bed kind of ran because I think he was basically just about to be sick so I ran to my bathroom to, be, to go be sick my mum went with him and I kind of walked up to my doorway and as I said to to my left was a room with all the others in and didn't know at the time, but all of them were in there and my dad had gone in there and I just hear like a symphony of screams. Like it sounds so mad to say, but it was like an orchestra of screams. It was just all three of them. I could tell at that moment they'd just been told to. Um, I remember just standing at my door and honestly the first thought that came to my head, which is proper, proper dark, I was like, there is no God. There is no God. Like, like life means fuck all, there is nothing. Like how, how can this be happening? Like this, there's, there makes no sense. How is this the world that I live in, like this is, like, I would do anything in that moment to change it. It was proper, proper mad because at that point, my mum, I think, basically had to take the two brothers to go see their parents who were at the hospital and say goodbye to their little sister. So that moment, I kind of, I was at the top of my stairs and I just walked away and just went and sat in my front room on my own. I remember my older cousin turning up with a couple of people. Um, he just kind of sat like in a chair opposite me and he, he'd been through some stuff with his own family again I won't go into that and he just sat there whilst I was kind of crying with my head in my hands not 
I wasn't like sobbing, but I was just sat there, just like this makes no fucking sense. And he just said to me, "It's shit, isn't it?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he said, "There's nothing that can be done, mate. This is just sometimes happens in life, and that's what it is." And it sounds mad, but at the time, that's kind of what I needed to hear. Which sounds well strange, but it's just just another human interaction. And my cousin, as much as I love him, is a pretty cold person, and that as it comes from him, is probably the most loving thing I've ever heard from him. Which sounds proper proper strange. And to the to this day, that kind of just lives in my head. That moment, like it, it's kind of not not a force of my depression, but definitely something that kind of always keeps me depressed because there's nothing I can do to fix that. And what makes this whole situation ten times worse, other than a child who was six years old passing, is the fact that at this time, um, swine flu was quite a big thing. Now we're in a. I I had the next day off school. So did my little brother and sister. The day after that. It ended up in the papers because she died at hospital and it turns out she had caught swine flu. Now, she didn't ha- like she didn't die of swine flu, but because she had swine flu, she was in the papers, um, which meant her face was fucking everywhere on every fucking newspaper going. Um, everyone and their mum knew about this sort of stuff. They were pol- pol- not police, news vans all the way down my street. I lived down a close, right? So they like they were at the top or down the side. All of my neighbours were getting involved. The good neighbours were telling them where to go. Others were giving interviews, which is just you know not not to be done because we were a pretty close little like group of houses, and everyone kind of knew everyone. Yeah, I went to get on the bus. Now I used to get a coach to school just because I live in London and my school was in Surrey, so I used to get on the coach. Got on the coach and everyone and their fucking mum wants to know what happened, wouldn't leave me alone. And that kind of highlighted to me how it was going to be for the rest of the day. I went to a school with like 1,200 people, just no one would leave me alone because he hadn't come into school but knew that me and him were dead close. Teachers wouldn't leave me alone, students wouldn't leave me alone, everyone was kind of on my case and there's nothing I wanted more than to just be like, just disappear from this fucking earth. Like I just wanted to just fucking go away and I was just holding back all this mad amount of feeling. I couldn't really do anything about it. Like I weren't going to cry in school, I'm not that type of person, as, as silly as that sounds. And that, that was a really, you know, sad time in my life because it created a big hole in my life. And it's always the little things when someone goes that you miss the most. I live at the end of my road. I live at the end of a close, right? And this person lives six doors up to me. And this just meant when we went to school, I would walk up to theirs, knock on their door, and we'd go. And every day without fail, I'd get a hug from, from the little girl who passed away. And it was shit like that that fucked me up the most because it just wasn't there anymore. We we as a fa- group of families used to meet up every Thursday, more or less without fail. Sometimes it wouldn't happen. But every Thursday, they'd either come to my house or we go to theirs and we do things together. That f- that, f- that That never happened ever again never happened ever again because the hole was just too big to be filled like it, it changed the whole way all of us interacted like i i still struggle now and i'm nearly 25 to actually see them all without nearly fucking bursting into tears even thinking about it now it brings a tear to my eye because there's just some things that can't ever be fixed in life and it's horrible to say but it's just it's just deep and even now as an adult, I find it hard to process because there's nothing I can do to fix that. There's no magic wand. There's nothing I can do to make shit better. The only thing I can think of to be positive is just try and make her proud, to try and do things in life that would would make 
a positive impact on other people's lives, whether it be dealing with that sort of stuff. And that's part of the reason why I'm doing this today, Stu, because if other people have been through this sort of situation, like we can provide a way for them to, you know, see a positive light out of it. That's what this is about for me. So yeah, I'll, I'll leave that there for that one. Probably the deepest of the lot. Um, pretty important, of course, to go over, at least for me. Like it, it's therapeutic to say that sort of stuff out loud. But yeah, again, thank you. We're going to take a short break there and we're going to listen to one of JJ's amazing beats that he's going to provide for us that he doesn't already know about. So now he's fuming. Um, and then we'll be straight back. JJ got beats. from JJ let's get back into it so JJ where do you want to take me next so next is is fairly soon afterwards and I think this again is quite an important moment in my life so that happened around July so we're coming near to the end of school everything was you know kind of dealt with over the summer I guess is the best way to put it and then come into September um my grandfather passed away who lived next door and again this was a mad one for me because I feel like things had almost started to become normal um and again he lived next door and I just remember me and my little brother the night before he'd slept in my bed which isn't something that really happens but just watch the film together just just do something nice and I just remember waking up to my nan coming upstairs she's like just I need Gary I need Gary and Gary's my old man and like my mum was like, what is it? What is it? And she just wouldn't speak to my mum, which I found really weird. And I kind of knew something was wrong by the tone of her voice because I've never heard my nan like that. And I, I thought her cat had passed away or something like that. Um, so yeah, I told my little brother just to go back to sleep. Went downstairs, sat in the same front room as I did before and kind of just waited. And my dad had gone to check if my granddad was alive, basically. And then he wasn't. Um... And that was rough because I remember sitting there and then obviously my nan lives next door so I saw an ambulance pull up and I was like, well, it's not a fucking cat now, is it? Um, then my mum kind of in the madness came in and told me that my granddad had passed away. My nan obviously wasn't in the house anymore. She was staying with us because she just didn't want to go into the house. Um, and and she, I remember her asking me if I wanted to see him and a lot of me wishes I did go see him but I, I chose not to at the time and I, I'll always kind of think oh should I have shouldn't I at the same time but when I think back now like it probably was the right decision maybe I didn't get to say goodbye but I think that would have kind of made the issue worse in some ways um so yeah that was quite rough because then I remember my uncle turning up and my uncle came in the front room and spoke to me and he hadn't been told yet. He just knew there was an ambulance there. And I think my mum told him. And that was quite rough. And then like, a day later, I'm back at school. Trying to pretend that everything's normal. And it, it just reminded me of the situation before. Where I was at school. It was a lot different this time. Because no one knew my granddad had passed away. And I wasn't going to start telling people to have the same response as I did before. With everyone and their mum chasing me around for information. 
but I think the main thing I took away from that was it just I couldn't I couldn't trust happiness, which is quite sad to say, but where everything had been fine and then not been fine so quickly at the point where it would just about started to become back to normality, it kind of just changed my outlook on life consistently from there forward. I even now like I don't trust happiness because it gets to a point where I'm like, right, well I'm just due something bad to happen. That's the way I kind of see it, which is which is an awful way to see it. It's an awful outlook on life. Wouldn't recommend it to anyone, obviously, and I feel like you should address that if you have those sort of issues. It's very important, and we'll get into that later. But um, I, tr- I try to see the positives in these sort of situations as well. Now, with my granddad, this this is the main reason I want to speak about it. Very sad that he passed away, but um, my nan has always been like one for baking. Always makes mad puddings. My, my my nan makes the best puddings in the world. She knows what she's doing on that one, and it just so happens that. On that night, my nan had baked a cherry pie. My granddad had already gone to bed, and then my nan went to bed. Now, within all the madness, this wasn't spotted straight away, but um, a slice of cherry pie was gone in the morning. Um, so it means that in the middle of the night, my granddad had got up to go to the toilet, whatever, gone downstairs, got a drink, saw there was a cherry pie on the side, had a big old slice of cherry pie, and then gone back to bed and passed away in his sleep, and then he had a, a painless death. So to me, right, I could sit here and say, oh, my granddad passed away. But to me, like, that is probably the best way to die I can ever think of. That's That that actually makes me smile. Like, look at me, I'm smiling. Like, it, I can take the sadness away from it, but I can see that actually that there's, there's probably not many better ways to go than that. So that, that to me is important as well, to try and see the silver lining in a very large cloud. But um, yeah, even now, when I think of that, like, I'm, I'm I'm ecstatic about it. As, as strange as that sounds, like it's, it's such a positive thing, because I know he died happy, and that's really important to me. Um, so yeah, that's and that's kind of that one covered. Against you, if you have any questions, please fire away, mate. I'm I'm an open book. I think um, the fact that you can see some positivity in that is is probably the biggest takeaway for me. Um, but we're like you said, we'll come to that. Um in the next section so talk to me about your nan um most important person in your life i think you said talk to me about her so as i mentioned before with my my best friend's sister passing my my dad kind of been an ongoing thing for like even now but for like mainly for six years there was a time where my dad was due to have a major operation and it was going to be a make or break one either he was highly likely to not survive or things were going to go bad to the extent he wasn't going to have his leg anymore and that sort of stuff so my parents decided about a year after my mate's uh, sister passed to take us to America which again was supposed to be a nice thing I had a great time there went to like Disneyland all that sort of stuff like standard tourist stuff but it was a good time again kind of just reminded me of like, like life can be good and we was there for like three weeks so came back came back to Heathrow airport again it's just down the road from me and then found out that my nan had cancer which was proper proper rough um because as i just mentioned my nan's my favorite person in the world she'd she'd done a lot for me always kind of helped me develop as a human being and then on top of all this stuff and it's the recurring theme that i could never really trust happiness because as soon as i got out of the airport and was waiting for my older brother to, to take us all home basically 
then found out that my dad had cancer and immediately my brain was like fuck's sake like not again like I can't be going through this stuff again so I go home turn up at my my front door and there's my nan and I just start crying and she she being her was just so cool calm and collected about the whole matter as if it was nothing she's like it's fine so she, she had breast cancer um and she was like they basically said they're gonna remove my breast but it's it's all cool like it's all, it's all gravy like you know it's better that than it being worse um and I got back at like 6am and hadn't really slept so I kind of just sat in my front room again kind of just chided myself away which is what I do when I get into these sort of like feelings I kind of just push myself into my own little corner I remember just sitting there playing I think it was like Red Dead Redemption or something like that because my older brother was looking after the, my house and had itself in the front room just fell asleep on the sofa when I spoke to my nan like the next day and was just like all I want is for you to be okay like I don't I don't care what happens like that's all I want like explain to her how important she always has been to me and kind of that was that but again I mean she she survived like she's alive now alive and kicking everything got sorted it, it was quite rough at the time like seeing her go bald and all that sort of stuff like it was quite demoralizing but she just took it in her stride another prime example of a human being with no fear um and just just yeah really like everything's good now so i have nothing to complain about but if we're talking about mental health that was one of the things that kind of broke me because it's it's one of those things i just you know you can't fix that sort of stuff i I don't have the power to fix that and we're going back to the whole magic one thing like my three things i wish i could fix is my old man my nan and and my mate's sister passing now i don't mention my granddad because a he was quite old and b as i've already mentioned he he died of a, a, a perfect death as horrible as that sounds so it, it's it's just one of those things where life is out of your control and you can't really do much so it's just about taking it in your stride and, and trying to find the positives and the positive in me for that was how strong my nan was my, my nan does a lot already or, or did a lot already at that time it's kind of helped help the community always makes like clothes to donate to like the hospitals for like newborn babies and that sort of stuff because she's good at knitting and sewing all that madness um so yeah like that one is probably a lesser one but it did just kind of push me back into those sort of feelings which is something that obviously we're going to touch on um and and it's one of those things that kind of always has that residing feel in, in my stomach and kind of always will do but um there's a, again, there's a positive out of it. She's still alive. She's still kicking. Still, still just as happy. Still just as positive as, as she always has been. So you know. Well, George, we're going to move on to the next section now. We're going to delve in a little bit into mental health. Um, something close to my heart. So, um, not many people, not many people will know. Um, I suffer quite badly with anxiety. Um, some generalized anxiety, some social anxieties as well. Um, I've took medication for that for about ooh, five years, six years. Um. It's something that I deal with on a day-to-day basis. So, obviously, I don't have the backstory that you have. Um, Where are you sort of at mentally and probably how have you come through it? It's a very good question. I feel like 
where I'm at mentally is one of those things that just you kind of go with the flow, like ups and downs. I feel like there's a lot of stigma around mental health, which can make it quite hard to to deal with. Um, and in my darkest times, I, I've, I've tried to kill myself twice, which is proper, proper dark to talk about. But that's that's what, you know, these sort of things and not dealing with it can lead you to. And that's why, like, in this section, I feel like the main message we need to get out to people is, regardless what it is, it's a, what you just said, Stu, to me, is uh, highlights the kind of stigma around it, if, if you don't mind me saying. The fact that you're like, oh, I don't, I don't have the backstory. I, I don't feel like that should be the case for anyone. Like, if you have any sort of mental health issue, whether it be anxiety, depression, or anything like that, it shouldn't be about ju- justification for it and that sort of stuff. Like, if, if you feel that way, it's important you address it. It doesn't it doesn't need to be a cause. Life itself can, can just be a major cause of anxiety. Now, whether it's because you're at school and you're, you're struggling and, and fear for how your exams are going to go or whether it's social things. Like I'm, I'm massively, like, socially awkward. I should probably, you know do more about it but there's a reason I like being a DJ it's because I'm away from all the people and no one can really talk to me and I don't, I don't have to try and be a social being because I don't like drinking I don't like doing that sort of stuff um, and if, if you're an adult things like a job can cause massive anxiety but, and even more adult stuff like bills and mortgages and all that other stuff so um, for me for me, I'm in a pretty decent place because I always try and see look how far I've come uh, there's loads of things that back from when I was start. I, so I tried to commit suicide like the day before I started my GCSEs because I was always meant to be an A star A student and knew I was only going to get B's and C's. And if I think about if if I'd been successful in my attempt, all the things I never would have done, like it is crazy to me. I never would have learned to DJ, never learned how to mix, ne- never would have made music, never would have you know done DJing at like a club level. Never would have met people like yourself, people like Easy, people like Hundred T, like all, all these people that actually make me think like it's, you know, there's there's so much to gain from actually addressing these issues as opposed to bottling them up and letting them build up to where that's where you feel like that's your only option. And I think you should commend yourself for having taken action and, and you know going to see a doctor is like something I always kind of put off. And then once I did and I spoke about it properly, just just saying that sort of stuff out loud can be a massive help. Um, so I, I feel like I'm I'm in a pretty good place in comparison to where I used to be. Now, by no means perfect. I think we all have our ups and downs, and with people that suffer with mental health, I feel like the downs are lower than you know they maybe they should have been. Um, if you were quote unquote normal or didn't suffer with mental health to the level you did, now there's a lot to be said about it, and there's there's no one size fits all answer. Um, which, which is what makes mental health such a difficult discussion. Um, and it has, like I said at the beginning, such a massive stigma around it. E- even things like this, I feel like what we're doing now, whether it helps someone or it helps to help people understand around those sort of issues. Um, but one thing I would take away from it is, is just, just be nice to everyone. You never know what anyone's going through. And people might put on a brave face and, and make you think that, oh yeah, there's fine. There's nothing going on in their life. Well, that's, not necessarily the case. Um, so I hope that's a decent answer. How about yourself, Stu? That's another important question. I, now, where I am, I feel good. Um, it took a long time. So for me, 
talking a little bit about my backstory, not majorly. There was obviously things that happened in my life. One of the things for me, funnily enough, was in my previous job, I worked permanent nights for, I think it was about five years, four to five years. Um, And for people who have never worked nights, they don't realise that like there's, there's around about a five-month period, six-month period where you literally don't see sunlight. Because the days are short through the winter, days are short, and at that time you're asleep. Um, and that messed me up quite strongly. There was me best mate, um, again from my previous employment when he passed away. That messed me up as well. Um, but I think where I am now is in a much better place. I, I had the whole suicidal um scenarios at that time um but luckily i had a good support network around me i had my wife i had friends that could um you know help and get through to me and say you know you need to go and get help and i did so in the end it it worked out okay and you know we're both still sitting here um, doing a podcast and kind of having a good time as much as we're talking about somber subjects. Um, I think that's probably my biggest thing that I like to tell people. In my current job as a manager, I deal with this day in, day out, not just from me, um, but from others. And I see how much people... The, the, the stigma thing is the thing that sticks out for me that you mentioned um, how how much of a struggle it is for people to talk about and how much of a struggle it is for people to go and get that help and support and there's such good help and support out there um, one of the biggest ones that I'm always talking about is the Samaritans absolutely amazing organisation that you can go and have a conversation with someone over the phone in person however they do it um but even talking to your gp i mean through my gp i had medication i had therapy um and i I suppose as well like it's something that it's something that i'll always be dealing with on a day-to-day basis but there is a light at the end of the tunnel there is another side it's what you might be going through at this current point in time in your life doesn't necessarily have to define you because three, four, five, six, seven years down the line, it might not be something that just completely consumes you. I, I don't think I don't feel like my anxieties consume me now. Like I don't I don't get up and think and have to like talk myself into doing things like I used to um, even like simple things like going to work like having to literally almost physically drag myself out of bed to go to work because I just I just didn't want to do anything I just it was too much depression and everything like that it's not always going to be that way so I think that's the big takeaway I think for me Jordan to ask you a question um, would kind of be what are your coping mechanisms? Not in terms of, and maybe your support network as well. 
in terms of you've got these terrible things that have happened in your past, but you're still sitting here cracking jokes and smiling and sneezing when I'm trying to say something serious. And, you know, like, how have you managed to get through it? I think think there's a lot of things. Um, it, it depends. Like, I, I feel like sometimes I didn't feel like I ever really had um, a, way, a way out of things like that. If I speak on support networks, I would probably say mine in a lot of ways is fairly weak. Um, there's quite a lot of people I wish I could speak to this sort of stuff about on a serious level and don't, which is something I hope to improve in my life. But there were certain people, mainly when I was at uni, actually, when I think about it, that really helped me. Um, one of them being a good friend of mine called Leo, uh, Leo Manning. Uh, he, he was a massive help. And the main reason that Leo helped me, as horrible as this sounds, is he had a friend that did commit suicide. And to see the way that affected him and all of his friends when I saw his friends and they come down to see us as people um, and the advice he gave me on like a personal level like about how to cope with things but also seeing that the problem with suicide and that sort of stuff is it doesn't get rid of the problem because you just pass it on to the people you love and that's why for me like sometimes I still feel suicidal but I know I could never go through with it um, because I know all I would really do is make my mum sad and, and my nan sad and the people that love me sad. Like It doesn't resolve the issue, it just passes it on. Um, another person at uni that helped me, I was on antidepressants for a bit. They didn't really help me, um, so I didn't do them for long. One of my good mates, Alex Aarons, such, such a funny geezer, like, always kind of found the light in it. Um, and he was a massive help because I, I was quite bad when I was at uni at one point as well because I was failing and I wasn't really doing what I needed to do. And he would fully come to my house and drag me out of bed and shit like that, like fully to, to make me go to uni and do work. One of the best things he ever did for me was scribble out all the labels on my antidepressants and just write penis enlargement pills. Now, that that to me was so funny because every time like I had to routinely take these tablets, instead of me looking at them and thinking, I'm ill, I'm never going to get better, I'm going to be addicted to these pills and these pills are going to govern my life. I used to just fucking crack up for a good 20 minutes because there's penis enlargement pills written on them. It was so funny to me, just little things like that. Um, I don't think everyone would find that funny, but I definitely did. That made it so much better for me. Um, And in terms of coping mechanisms now, I feel like just doing the things I enjoy in life. Um, Now, making music for that is like a massive thing for me, just being able to just make music, like being proud of my creative side. Sometimes I do Photoshopy stuff, like definitely creative tasks. And sometimes I think this is a major one, is just having a, a self-care day. Like it's really important for me to just be like, do you know what? I, I, like, like life is too short for you to just spend your whole life just trying to work. So if I need to, I'll just sit there and have like a two-hour bath, just, just doing me in the bath, watching either silly videos or, or comedies that I like, that sort of stuff. Um doing the things I want to do and not, not feeling guilty for not doing something productive on that day or not doing what I'd set out to in my head because it was better for myself mentally to just take that time for myself, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, those are my answers. Again, Stu, what, what do you think helps you, you? You mentioned you had a decent support network, um, which is, you know, you should be very proud of that. A for, for taking the step up, 
to, to speak to those people because I know how hard that is. Like it's something I struggle with all the time. And some people I wish if they didn't have such a bravado, I'd be able to say it to them and I feel like they'd be open up to me. Um, so is, would you say that helps you still quite a lot or are there other techniques? Yeah, I, 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 having people around you is always going to be important, but that doesn't need to be a mate or family. That can be the Samaritans, that can be, you know, whatever, your therapist, um, your GP, anything like that. As long as you've got someone there, for me, um, talking about it was probably the biggest thing. Um certainly that I struggled with growing up. Um I, I think the interesting thing for me when I look back, so I'm thirty three now and I've probably actually started dealing with it around twenty seven, twenty eight. And I think now though sometimes I sit and I and I look back to how I was um when I was growing up, like 18, 17, to, to like 21, say, and how much I missed out on at that age um, because of it. Now, the big thing that, the probably the big advantage that people have who are struggling with it now is that it's actually talked about now. So when I was that age, that's going back, you know, early 2000s, it wasn't talked about. It was as if it didn't exist. And for a lot of people, um, especially like going through school and everything like that, it, it really didn't exist. Um, it, obviously it did, it was there, but it wasn't ever talked about. I think that's probably one of my biggest regrets that, I mean, if you actually understand anxiety, and I'm not a doctor by any means, um, but the way it got explained to me was that it's, literally anxiety is just a chemical imbalance in your brain that's all it is and there are ways to fix it there are ways to train your brain to produce more of the chemical that you need there's medication that can produce that 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 chemical for you and so i sit there and i think if only i had known that when i was 15 16 17 I would have known that there was something wrong and that wasn't just who I was as a person because growing up it was kind of yeah okay I, I don't I don't like going to parties I don't like going outside I don't like hanging out with people and that was kind of like but that's just who I am when that's not who you are it's just no one knew at that time or no one really talked about what that actually was at that time. It was something that it was it just like I say, it just wasn't talked about. And I think for me, I mean coping wise, I cope with it now, but at the same time I'm of an age where those anxieties you kind of get to a point in your life where you kinda of like okay, well I don't care about those things, so I don't care if I don't want to go out and socialise because I'm 33, and trust me, life goes downhill after 25, so don't worry about that, but like, it, it didn't matter, it doesn't matter at this age, it did when I was younger, and I never understood it then, so, so many things that I've missed out on, 
at that age and that's that's why the things that i've done to improve my life now i mean we were talking um one of the previous episodes we're like off camera we were talking about youtube i started a youtube series um going back six months that was something that i wanted to do when i was 18 19 that sort of age and my best mate who passed away sadly we used to talk about it all the time and i'd be like I really want to do a save on FIFA, or I really want to do a save on Footy Manager, or I really want to do a save on Zombies, or and, and I want to do it on YouTube. And we used to talk about it all the time, and he was always like, just do it, it'll be great, everyone will love it, blah, blah, blah. And I could never get myself to the point where I could actually do that, and actually put myself out there. Whereas now, it's like, yeah, okay, first time I did it, if you watch my first video, you can tell I'm nervous, compared to where I am now. But that was like, that wasn't something that was going to stop me. I was like, no, this is something that I want to do and I'm going to go and do it. And I believe that I can do it to a decent level. And having the confidence in yourself to go and do that. So I think that's probably my takeaway. If you are, you know, younger and that sort of age, like 18, you know, being introverted there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but just sort of have a think about where you are and if that's not where you want to be there are there, there are things that, that, that can help and there's certainly people out there that can help with that yeah you should be very proud with that mate like i think you smashed that answer at the part of stars the fact that, you know, like you mentioned about YouTube, it's something that you kind of always wanted to do. You should be dead proud that now that's something that you're doing and you're smashing it, like absolutely smashing it out of the park, I must say. So you should be well proud of, like, you know, I think I think that's proof in the pudding, really, that you can come overcome those anxieties and with time and the right help, do the things that you felt that maybe they were holding you back from doing. So that's, that's a sick answer. And I feel like, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying about, like, I, Obviously, you're not loads older than me, but I couldn't, can't imagine, like, in that sort of era, trying to admit to people that you'd have some sort of anxiety or something like that. Because, like you say, like, the, the stigma was probably worse, for starters, and the support network, in, not just in terms of people, but, like, infrastructure, i.e., like, doctors and that sort of stuff, probably wouldn't have been as advanced as it is today. So... I mean, you, you don't even know the words. Like, the, literally, like, at that age, I wouldn't even know what that meant. I wouldn't understand. Everybody understood depression. <clears throat> but it, nobody understood anxiety. Nobody understood it whatsoever at that at that point, like going back, I don't know, 18 years, something like that. Nobody understood it. And you certainly, as a, as a youngster, it just wouldn't be, it would just be brushed off like, oh, just, just, just who you are or get over it that sort of thing, that mentality to it. it. it, The stigma side of it comes later when people actually, okay, so now we know what anxiety is. Now we're going to use it as, you know, a negative, which is what came later, probably, you know, in the, certainly in the last 10 years. Um, When you look at, like, 
like footballers dealing with mental health and things like that and people will sit there and say well you know they've got everything right so that whole stigma that's where that comes in because if you've never been through it then you you won't be able to comprehend it because trust me i've had conversations about it with people who in their world everything is absolutely perfect so you know fair enough that's great Uh, and i'm glad for those people but they will never understand it and they will always think even now even now i'll have conversations with people who um have never dealt with anxiety and they will say anxiety like it's you know whatever hear it all the time it's just an excuse even now 2021 and that's and that's sad but there needs to be more people like like me there needs to be more people like jordan and people who deal with those situations that can actually sit there and say oh you know what this isn't right no i completely agree i think it, like the the stigma is always there and like, i pray as horrible as it sounds that it will die with the people that have that sort of shitty attitude because they are the ones that make it like for every 10 people to say they understand it's people like you and me that fear saying it to the wrong person who's going to be like that one person that says it's just a load of shit like just i've, I've a man up or uh, it's just an excuse like those are the people that hold people back from getting help like, and that's what that's what pissed me off the most is that if you're surrounded by people like that then then you'll be stuck in this bubble where you never seek the right help or you feel like you don't have a justification to feel like that because people have told you it's, it's a load of old shit, which is just bollocks. Like, and going back to what you said, I envy the people that never deal with this shit. Like, it sounds horrible, but you're you're dead lucky. Like, I fucking uh, going back to the magic wand thing. If I had a magic wand, I'd fucking I'd add it to the list, cure everyone's anxiety, and fix all those other things I spoke about, and like creating a narrative for mental health to be normalised because the way the world is today is it amplifies it like especially with things like social media makes things worse and, and I, I feel dead sorry for kids growing up today because i feel like the whole world is kind of shoved in your face and you're supposed to do this you're supposed to do that and if that's not something you like doing or you don't feel like that's the way you think the way the way the internet works is kind of it'll just like, alienate you and, and make you feel insecure like so quicker than maybe it would have done w- without it or if you found people that you could speak to certain issues about, but you kind of given the world in front of you and it changes every 10 seconds and you don't know which way is up. So it's, it's dead hard. Although there are, like you know, like we said, like there's all that support network and it's now becoming a public thing and there's like mental health day and things like Samaritans, which are bang on like for helping people. Um, it's, it's still dark there they're fixes for people who are willing to admit it but i think it's given people the ability to admit it because i'm sure there's many people that people might even watch this this podcast and think hmm i kind of maybe feel a bit like that but do, do i have the justification to go seek help like because they hear going back to my point they hear that one in ten person who who ruins it for everyone by saying all right so the bollocks or this person needs to man up or you know like like you said, I, I can definitely feel the whole what you were saying about when you were like eighteen. People might just fob it off and say, "Oh, well, you're just a teenager. You grow out of it." Like I was quite like that at that age, and 
everyone's like, oh, you just, it's just, just, you know, it'll, it'll be fine when you're older. And ne- never did. But to, to go and say to someone, oh, I'm a teenager and I feel like this, and be like, that's just part of growing up. You'll be fine. And just, just palm, it, palm it off to the side. So it's, it's a fucker. But I think what we're doing today will help, you know, with pushing that narrative of normalizing it and making people feel like they deserve to get help and you don't need to have been through the worst things in the world and if you don't feel right it's important to address that because my biggest problem with mental health is if if you if i don't know if you're bleeding right and it's severely bleeding and then we'll we'll align that with depression like if you've got grays in your elbow you're probably all right so if you're sad for a little bit you're probably all right if if you get grays in your elbow and it's constantly bleeding for like four or five days or you know put that in the mental health you're depressed for four or five days you should go seek help but pe- people understand it on a physical level, but on a mental level, they're not so sure. And that's what I'm hoping we can help change. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think um, it, for me, it was always, you know, if you were sat there with a broken leg, you'd go to the doctors, right? So if you've got something wrong with you, you go to the GP or you go to whoever to get that fixed. And there might be stigma about it. I think, for me, biggest piece of advice is just do you and worry about it. Because honestly, you will get to an age, 28, 29, 30, and you, you just, you won't, you won't give a shit what anybody thinks. Trust me. You'll be like, so what? But get there sooner than I did. Because I wish that I got there when I was 21 and I could be like, not asked just be you because trust me when when you when you're going through school and you're trying to fit in and all that and i I get it um those people who try and fit into a crowd they won't be anything at 25 they won't be anything at 26 27 there'll be nothing because that nobody wants the same thing everybody wants something different you just don't realize it when you're a kid Okay, so we've come to the final part of the episode. As always, it's the shout-out section. I'm actually going to start off today, so I'm going to start off by shouting out Jordan um, for coming on and sharing those those stories from his past and talking about some really tough topics with me. Um, it's been absolutely amazing. Obviously, all of his details will be down in the description below. Go and check out his YouTube. Go and check out his Twitch. Trust me, you'll enjoy it. Um, one of the other things I wanted to mention is as well, you will have noticed that we've got a new um, title song now in Guide the Raid. That was actually made by Jordan. So again, thank you for that. Um, somebody else I wanted to shout out was Deck. Um, not many of you will know that Deck is one of our um, researcher, producer type guys that we have working behind the scenes and he doesn't get as much credit as he should for some of the things that he does, but without him, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast um, because he does so much behind the scenes in terms of talking to the guests that we're having on, asking amazing questions and leading 
where I go. So I know a lot of people will be like, oh, Stu, Stu asks great questions. It's It comes from deck. So without him holding my hand through it all, um, it really wouldn't be there. But Jordan, this is your section. Tell me what you've got going on. Shout out anyone you want to shout out. And yeah. Perfect. So um, in terms of stuff going on, same as usual, streaming three times a week. If, if you think it might be your type of thing, come say hello. We're all dead friendly. Stu will be there. Deck will be there. You know, just come learn something. And if not, you know, wait wait until we're near the end. They're usually only like an hour anyway. And just listen to what's made at the end. Like It might be the type of music you like. In terms of what else I upload on YouTube, just, just beats like once a week, really. Nothing too major on that sort of side. Um, I'm probably looking at going back into drum and bass a little bit in the future. Lining up some stuff for labels. Um, that definitely won't take priority, but um, just be nice to put that sort of stuff out there because I've got 101 DMB tunes I never made public. So getting that sort of stuff signed to labels should be something for the future. In terms of shout out, I'm gonna have to lead off with yours. Deck, Deck does like you know, like you said, does does a lot for this stream, but also like great geezer to talk to. Always looks after me, and I, I feel like a lot of what happened today, particularly this stream, probably wouldn't have happened without Deck. I think you'd agree there, Stu. So uh, got that geezer there. Um. Easy as well, XEZJT, the geezer that like, again, if I we come back to how all of this started, how I would have been here, it's because of streaming and I wouldn't have been streaming if it weren't for him. Got so much love for that geezer. Um, look after me a lot. And all of the people in this chat as well, all the mods like, you know, T and M. Um, I see. <laughs> every, every one of them lot though, like they're, they're all such wonderful people, all showing mad amounts of support. Um, trying to think who else. I would just say everyone I've mentioned out of my mates as well, you all know who you are. I doubt you'll even see this, but I do appreciate it from like a personal level. A lot of you made more of an impact on my life than you will ever know. Um, there's people like you that I think of when I'm in my dark times and think, shit, like, you know, maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So, yeah, that's me done, mate. Again, Stu, shout out to yourself. That's the last one, mate. Like, thank you for having me. I think today we spoke about a lot of the hard topics for the pair of us. I think, you know, I opened up a fair bit. You did as well. Um, and hopefully, because of that, we can create a narrative and make people, that even if it's just people we know, feel like they can open up. That that would be a win for me. As long as one person comes out of this and thinks, I'll do the right thing for myself and, and seek help or speak to the people I love about it or move forward with understanding it's okay not to be okay. That that would be the other thing I'd be really happy to see. So, but yeah, thank you for the opportunity, mate. It means a lot. I do appreciate it. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. Like I said before, I'm absolutely made up that you came on. Um, if you're listening on YouTube, make sure you subscribed. We've got a few podcasts coming in the next um, couple of weeks, depending on the upload schedule. That are going to be really interesting. Um, really good listens. If you are listening over on Spotify, give us a follow and drop us a like and everything like that. Support any way you can. Down below in the description, we'll have all of Jordan's stuff. Um, his Twitch, his YouTube, everything, his Twitter, everything like that. So that you can go and show him some love, show him some support. I'll also drop some links to some help sites. So the Samaritans, any others that I can sort of um, get my hands on. I'll drop down below as well. I'll drop down my Twitter in there as well. Uh, my personal one and the Guide the Raid one. So if you've been affected by anything that you've heard today and you want to talk it through, DM me 
I'll talk it through with you, no problem at all. We'll jump in a Discord, we'll have a chat. Absolutely. Um but yeah, thanks again for listening. Thanks to Jordan for being here. And thanks for Dech for being in the background. We'll speak soon. <laughs>